the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living TV's podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective, to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. Today, my guest is Nyan McDonald. She's an executive with experience in analytics, information management, healthcare reform, IT strategy, and business transformation. She believes passionately that healthcare data needs to be liberated and used to enable better healthcare outcomes. We have enormous untapped opportunities in healthcare where we have an embarrassment of rich data that needs to be connected and made available to patients and healthcare givers. Welcome, Jan. I'm in Michigan. And where are you from? And then also, can you please share with the listeners, I guess, your story, how you came to healthcare? Yes. Yeah, so I am currently reporting out of a suburb of Chicago. So my story and how I came into healthcare is essentially um, a little bit of um, an opportunity. I was in consulting around data management and business intelligence. Um, and then when I started to have my kids, I wanted to travel less and consulting is a lot of traveling. And so I was given an opportunity to work with a healthcare service corporation and they were just starting up their data governance program. And I was there for about eight years. And during that time, a lot of things have happened, including the passage of the Affordable Care Act, which is a big game changer in our industry. And since then, I've also done left HTSC and then went to management consulting for a few years. And then I ended up back at the Blue Cross Blue Shield system with Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And so there I was VP of Enterprise Data Solutions and worked with all of the individual 36 different plans that are separate companies to um, basically implement a system-wide data strategy. And then after that, I recently left that position in March, and I've been doing some advisory work as well as now I'm, I have actually two roles. One is with Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. We just started up a Institute for Augmented Intelligence in Medicine. And in that role, I'm the chief of data operations. So bringing all of the data pipes together and making it AI and machine learning usable for the rest of the healthcare within the Northwestern community for at first, hopefully eventually nationally. And then my second role is as VP of Healthcare Business Solutions Architecture with an interoperability software vendor called HealthLX. And that interoperability is probably, from a healthcare data standpoint, the, the holy grail. It's something that we've been working on for a long time. And so it's very exciting to be in this place right now where I think technology and the regulations come together to really make 
interoperability feasible. Well, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> your journey. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. Can you give me a brief overview of the state of the data in the healthcare industry? Yeah. So their healthcare data is what I call data rich information poor. So we've been collecting data in healthcare for a very long time. So you've got your, your paper charts, you've got imaging data, you've got your claims data and all of that, there's a lot of it, but it isn't very well connected and it doesn't come together. So therefore it makes it very difficult for either your, your doctor to manage your care or even for someone outside, like a caregiver, like a family member to be able to take you to a specialist and to be able to show the specialist that, hey, this is the information that is already accumulated on this individual. And then in 2004, we thought, hey, if we took all of these paper forms and we put them in electronic health records, we would solve the problem. And unfortunately, in 2004, I think George W. Bush signed an executive order that's created the Office of the National Coordinator for Health Information Technology. And out of that act and subsequent acts since then, we've been trying to electrify all those records. But we're just creating more data, but we weren't, there wasn't an emphasis on how that data came together. There wasn't any incentives to make that happen. So two things happen, right? One is the ACA. When the Affordable Care Act was passed, there was a lot of incentive within the Affordable Care Act to launch what I call value-based care. And that's really moving away from every single thing that is done to you is a line item that gets paid, what we call fee-for-service, to being able to say that if you're charged with the overall health and quality outcomes for an individual patient, and so since the ACA kind of pushed that on, there was a lot of incentives all of a sudden for payers and providers and other people within that healthcare spectrum to talk to each other and communicate and share data. And then in the waning days of the Obama administration, we have the 21st Century Cures Act, which basically said interoperability has to be done without special effort. And those words, without special effort, remove some of the barriers that we've talked about, things like if you wanted your health record, you had to go into the hospital with either a CD or a USB key, or like you'd get a bunch of files and you would be charged. And it made it very difficult for your health data to be combined together. And then just recently this March, March seems to be a big month this year, ONC and CMS passed some rules that basically enforce the 21st Century Cures Act. And those rules basically said that set out standards for how that interoperability was to happen and also set out dates for when payers and you know, providers had to make this data available. So this fall, all providers have to be able to send data about their admits, discharge, and transfers um, between facilities uh, or to the home available. And then coming in early 2021, and being enforced in July is that payers have to make all clinical and claims and encounters data available via a fire API to if a patient asks for it. So what this allows is something like an Apple health record to be able to access all of your data, which is really exciting because that's never happened before and quote, without special effort. So mm -hmm. that's a state of the data. We're just like on the cusp of data being made widely available. 
what is stopping the different healthcare providers from sharing the data? So there's a couple of things. One is the incentives, right? In the past, I talked a little bit about the incentives before. Healthcare providers were like, well, if I share my data about my patient, like somebody else will come along and take my patient. In the world of value-based care, a patient, the whole scope of their experience is aggregated into a contract where you have to make sure that you know all of their costs are rolled together. It removes the incentive for me to keep that information, but I now I want all the information and where is this person going? So one is incentive. And then the other one is a little bit of technology and standards. We, we don't know how we're gonna exchange that data together. We all know that we keep information about whether someone is male, female, or and but we, I may be storing it one way in one system and a different way in another. So it makes it very difficult to share. And so what these new rules say is that we will be using FIRE, which is the FAST Healthcare Interoperability Resources. We will be using one standard in order to exchange that information. And it's actually a standard that providers are used to already. It's actually a new thing for most payers. Wow. I think all in all, there's been some progress based on yes. what you described. What role does HIPAA have in all of this mandating that patients always can have access to their own yeah. data? Yeah, so HIPAA actually says you get your data, but it's been difficult to actually make that data available. And so under HIPAA, you should have access to your data. HIPAA provides some of the guardrails around how that data gets used and controlled and there's a lot of work that's being done in the healthcare industry about authorization of that data. And we need a really good consent model so that one of the proudest moments for me when I was working at Cross Blue Shield Association was when we came out with our data strategy that basically the tagline was the patients own their data and therefore should have access to it at any time that they want. And to say that definitively across an entire Blue Cross Blue Shield system was a big deal. And so now we're saying it to the entire healthcare spectrum to say patients own their data. And if they ask for it, you have to give it to them and you have to give it to them in a way that's consumable by a lot of the healthcare technologies that we currently are creating. So innovation is right on the cusp. Mm -hmm. Let's say within the scope of the older adult, with the data available to them, do you think seniors want that? And then will, will it be easy for them to access? So I think that today's boomers, they are so much more tech savvy than the prior generation before them. And I think that the technology that used to be really difficult to aggregate all this data and make it available is now you have cloud, now you have just database technologies that just make everything a lot less onerous to actually send that data out. So I think it'll be slow at first. What's gonna happen is all these, there's a ton of venture capital money that's being poured into these consumer facing applications. And then like that's gonna drive us on the back end to figure out how to make that data useful to the consumer. From a boomer standpoint, think about how if you're in a care facility and you say you're in an active living facility, wouldn't it be great if they were notified that you fell at the grocery store and were admitted to the hospital? That's something that we don't really think about today, but I think there's an end-to-end -end care 
that from a senior living standpoint, I would love it if I could be assured that there was a facility where my parents could go, where if they something happened to them, that facility would know and they would either contact me or they would contact uh, my parents' doctors. So there's a lot of, I think, application from a, in terms of the senior living. True. Let me ask you, right now, are those data available for the older adults to take with them? And how would they go about getting it? And as far as the usability, it's a big question. And I, I know yeah. there's a lot of moving components around it. But what's your take on the availability of those data for the older adults to use? How readily is it? It's going to be some Medicare and Medicaid and CMS, all of those plans are covered under this 21st Century Cures Act. So the data that's made available to the patient includes senior data. And I think the way that it's going to get made available to them is in these consumer apps that will allow you to pull your health data and will allow you to share that data with your caregivers. And so I think it's beyond just your doctors, right? You as a caregiver for your child or your parents will be able to see all of that data together. And imagine it being integrated, for instance, with your Apple Watch, and that would be one-stop shopping. So I think we probably have a few years until it gets there, but having that data be mandated that it has to be available, that it can't be locked up in a data warehouse somewhere is a huge step in the right direction. I'll give you an example. Like right now, if I need to know my records, my appointments and results of testing and so forth, I will log into Michigan Medical. Okay. So all that's available to me. Mm -hmm. Now, are you saying that in the future, that same data will be available with permission to folks within the scope of your senior living. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You could say, I want, if you're living in, make up a name of a senior living facility, Sunshine Homes, you could say Sunshine Homes is allowed to get certain types of data about me. And then that would be incorporated as part of your care. Now, obviously there's a, some infrastructure and business process that the senior living facilities have to start to think about how would they use that data? But until now, that data wasn't even available. I think that would be great. I think that would help the integration between the caregiver, the frontline staff, and the primary care, more of a direct link as opposed to, I think right now, it's either a big gap or it's non-existence. Right. Yeah. So one of the areas that I think that we spend not enough time in healthcare about is around that sort of your, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to say it, but like sort of your end of life, how do you want to spend your golden years? And so there's a whole spectrum of that. There's the healthy living and the healthy part, which I think if you have a well-managed diabetes patient, for instance, and you can monitor, there's so much technology about where your glucose monitoring and pumps that allow insulin to be automatically dispensed. And then you have the spectrum of end of life where you're facing terminal cancer and you're in hospice care. In both those ends, if you understood what that whole healthcare journey looks like for a patient and what their needs and desires are, then I think everything is going to 
be a little bit better in terms of the experience for that patient, especially towards the end of life when you start to have a lot of different comorbidities and very complex care, right? You want everybody to have all the information they can on you. I agree. I think from my personal experience, when my mom was in the different senior living community, to have that physician follow-up, unfortunately, it's once a month, but it's not enough. And to get the data, it takes days to weeks, and it follows the person that has been treating her. So I think if it's stored somewhere local with permission, I think it would help everybody. And yeah. even that integration between the, the senior living communities to the local hospital, I still think there's a big gap there. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I absolutely do. Part of the reason why I took my role uh, at HealthLX was the idea that we already had this platform that allowed different kinds of data from all different kinds of sources to come in and be, be integrated into one platform and make that data available as a, an API. So that's a lot of the hard work. I've been in data for 20 years and most of that time, a lot of the upfront work was always, how do you integrate that data in so you don't have just a bunch of junk that comes out on the other end? And right now, it's just a huge outgrowth of different companies trying to help people figure out what to do with their data. But what's really important is like that middle layer as to how do I make sense of this data? Is this the same thing or am I getting the same test results 25 different times? Yeah. So you, you describe where you are and I guess how you got here. What's on the horizon? What are some of the actionable things that you're doing to bring us closer in understanding the data and using it properly? Yeah. I've always been that data operations person to make data available and to liberate data to allow really smart people to make use of it. So what I see in the horizon is in my role at Northwestern, for instance, the ability to take a look and point artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment the intelligence of humans to figure out and how to treat someone or even anticipate what their healthcare needs are going to be. So that's the end goal. When we start to use data and make a way to augment how we already deliver care to individuals. Healthcare is really about the human to human connection. And then now we have all this technology that allows us to bring the artificial intelligence, things that humans may not be able to see into the picture of how we care for each other. Blessing forward feedback. If you had to request something of the senior living communities, how can they be integral or providing you feedback or be more proactive in this whole development? Yeah, what would be great is to understand what type of data is helpful to them. How do they measure whether a senior's experience is positive or negative at different points in their care? And not just the senior living facilities themselves, but how do patients view success? Because when you start to figure out what quantifies as success, then you go and figure out how does the data help make that set of care successful? Very true. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions regarding aging, attitude towards aging, and also <laughs> just your whole take on the cultural, the Asian culture towards senior living. So first, what is your attitude or thoughts on the aging process for yourself? 
from my cultural background, there's a level of respect and care. My parents actually live in our home with us. They have an independent unit. It's just about them being there and us being there. But I think having them be present in our life day to day has really brought to my kids this appreciation for all of that they've gone through and all of the wisdom that they have to give. And so I think my attitude towards aging is, I think there's a way that we, from a data standpoint, can help enable people to live how they would like to live. For some people, that's playing golf. For other people, it may be, I just want to knit and watch soap operas in front of the TV. And so I think like each each set of goals is very distinct and individual for that person. And we have to listen to see what it is that they're trying to achieve. And we have all of the data and the technology in the world to do that. It's a question of whether we understand what it is that they're looking for. That's great. That's great. Thank you. So is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners and how can they contact you? I think one of the things I want to share is that the data is there and it will be available and you should ask for it. It's your data. You as the consumer, as the patient, as the caregiver for who cares for that person. And July 1st, 2021 is when all payers have to make that data available and look for ways that can help you. People can reach me. I'm at non.mcdonald at gmail.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn, or you could go to Northwestern and Google for me or HealthLX and Google for me. There's lots of ways to contact me. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the insight. Honestly, this is the side of data availability for the older adult in senior living. So I think very forthright and very good to bring this to light. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living TV's podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.